0: Hi everyone, Tiffany here with a super quick note that this podcast was recorded as part of a previous bundle season. That means that the dates that you're about to hear for the bundle, well, they're no longer correct. If you're interested in seeing what the dates are for this year's sale, please visit thebellydancebundle.com. There you'll find all the up to date information on our upcoming bundle. While the dates may be wrong and the class mentioned here isn't available through us any longer, Many of our guests still have their courses available for purchase individually, so please do feel free to click through to their offerings and take a look. You're going to want to check it out after hearing how brilliant they are. Thank you so much for listening, and enjoy the show. It's Yalla Rocks, episode 16, and today, we're improvising. Technically, an interview is probably some sort of improv as well. I've learned so much about improv from this interview and I cannot wait for you to dive in. It's given me a whole new view of not only improv's place in this dance, but how many things in our lives are actually improvised. Sometimes you just have to put things in that context to make something way less scary. Our guest Alia has spent her whole life in this dance improving, and she has so much to share. So today, you'll learn why improv is embedded into the heart of this dance, why you should be more curious than anything else, and how leaving behind your expectations is the best thing you can do. Though I'd argue that that last one is often great advice, both in dance and just in life in general. There is so much goodness in this interview, and the amazingness is only going to continue in Alia's Effortless Improvisation course, which will be included in this year's 2019 Belly Dance Bundle. We go on sale next Wednesday, the 16th, so if you haven't already, mark that date in your calendars because this is a bundle of products that you aren't going to want to miss. Hello, dancers, and welcome to Yalla Rocks, the belly dance podcast that helps you design your personal practice. I'm your host, Tiffany, and today we have the master of teaching improv and the author of Midnight at the Crossroads, Has Belly Dance Sold Its Soul, Alia Tabit.
1: Welcome. Thank you, Tiffany. I'm really happy to be here.
0: So before we jump into improv and all of the goodness that lies therein, because there's, there's so much goodness in improv, can you tell listeners who may not know so much about you a little bit about yourself and how you got started in this dance form?
1: I got started in belly dance because Arabic on my father's side. And there was a class down the street from me where when I, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and there was a class down the street from me. And I thought, Oh, that will be cultural and sexy. So <laughs> I think that's kind of common is sort of like, Oh, you know, we want to be, we want to have that sense of glamour. So, So yeah, that's how I got started. And then the gal who was teaching that class got tired of teaching classes after a while. And she said, well, you all can go to the class that I go to if you want to keep going. And that was Ibrahim Fara's class, Bobby Fara, which was a professional class. So I go from like my little beginner class to this professional performers class. And and it was great.
0: Was it a (laughs) bit of a shock when you did it?
1: I didn't... I probably didn't know enough to be as overwhelmed as I have been in other classes later on. Um, And Bobby's classes were so well designed that a lot of it, I mean, it was just, it was so much fun. We had such a good time because we never did anything. We really never did anything twice. I went sometimes three times a week for two hours at a time to a dance class and the second hour was a symbol class. And he never repeated anything, you know, not a combination. We never did court real choreography at that time. Later he started doing teaching choreographies, but at, at that time in the mid seventies, um, really the early seventies, he didn't, he didn't do that, but we had a short, fairly complex combination in every class. And we always did across the floor in every class. And so it wasn't, it wasn't, um, you know, most of the classes that I see now, everybody is learning choreography. And so you have to go to every class or you're going to miss part. And it's all about memorizing and it's all about looking like everybody else. Bobby would have us go across the floor and say, you know, do this your way, do this differently. He'd pull different people up to do the combination in the front so we could see how it looked on different bodies. He was always encouraging us to put our own flavor on things and do things our own way. So it was a really, really good education that I lucked into right off at the beginning. And that was back in the days of, you know, American nightclub style and the five-part routine, which was generally improvised.
0: When, when improv was really king, king of the hill in the belly dance world. Yeah,
1: well, I think that was most most of what we have. I think the dance was, I'm going to use the word a little bit pure back then, because a lot of the people who learned, learned from dancers of the culture. And there was, you know, heavy Turkish-Armenian, Levantine influence at the time because that was who the immigrants who came to this country were from those areas. A lot of people from the Levant who were escaping from the Ottomans and the Armenians who were escaping from the Ottomans. So it, was, it wasn't necessarily heavily Egyptian. We didn't have the internet. It wasn't so easy to see you know the arabic movies and get arabic music i was lucky because i lived in brooklyn and rashid records was there which is one of the earliest purveyors of arabic music and movies in this country and it was just handy you know, bus right away and that was the arabic part of one of the arabic parts of brooklyn went there all the time anyway
0: man so you, you really did just like luck. you were just in the right place at the right time to get the kind of instruction that's really informed the rest of your life.
1: Yes. It was really pretty miraculous. I, I was lucky.
0: That's amazing. So improvisation was something that you, you did from the very start, but like you mentioned, a lot of people now don't necessarily get that same instruction. I think improv is a lot of times pushed out of the beginning stages of dance to make it easier for people to just pick up on as it's one of the, like, as teachers try to simplify classes a little bit, that's the thing that is deemed a little too complicated and pushed farther down the lesson plan. What is it about improv, though, that is so important in this dance that really, it really needs to not kind of be pushed farther in and really live earlier on in the process?
1: It's important because it's a cultural ideal. I mean, it's one of the basic pillars of, I'm going to say, the philosophy of oriental dance and music and i'm using the term oriental even though that's not always a popular term but i'm not talking about people i'm talking about a culture that is informed through a lot of different countries and we can use you know the ever-increasing acronyms but it's still okay to say oriental carpets so it's still okay to say Oriental dance and outside of the U- United States that is, and in in the East itself, that is the popular term because Orient just means East. So Eastern dance as opposed to Western dance and Near Eastern, near to Middle Eastern, because in its homelands, it often doesn't really have a name. It's just dance.
0: Well, because it's their dance.
1: Yeah. Like- and it's it's like the endemic dance. Um that a lot of people do. And yes, scholars think that it likely came from, originated in Egypt, because also in the past, uh, in other countries, people called it, according to Mogadawi, Raksal Masri, which means Egyptian dance. And Egypt has a much wider repertoire of solo dances than many of the other Levantine and other countries, which have a lot of line dances. Mm -hmm. So anyway, uh, that's my justification for oriental dance. So in the music and the dance, and I've heard this from, I can't tell you how many uh, dancers and musicians of the culture, the feeling is the most important thing. And this idea that it's, and that improvisation is so deeply embedded in the music that the musicians pride themselves on not playing the song the same way twice. They play the same melody, but they are always decorating it to sort of articulate their feeling in the moment. And then you have the whole realm of Takasim, which is a musical improvisation. And these improvisations are liberally sprinkled through the music. Like when you look at the older, more folky music that a lot of was a lot of the five-part routine music, it was, you know, kind of had the same structure as a lot of Western folk music, verse, chorus, but as verse, chorus, improvisation on this instrument, improvisation on that instrument, improvisation on the next instrument. And what are you gonna do? They're gonna play something you never heard before because it didn't exist before. So by, by hook or by crook, you are gonna have to improvise to that. So it's built in to the music and the dance. And the whole idea of micro movement that we have in the dance, where we don't have that many moves in this dance.
0: Let's be honest. It's like yeah, what, you really, really break it when you bring it all back to the basics. There really isn't yeah. that many.
1: Yeah, you got like circles and infinities, and you know accents and shimmies, maybe, and and then you put things together and you build up into things that are more complex and then you build that into you know along you know time and you can make it more and more complex but it's pretty basic what's basic and each of those moves is unique and fairly unusual uh, you don't get too many of them in dances of other cultures really that the degree that they are in In belly dance and oriental dance and because we have micro movement that is so you have a circle but it's not there's nothing standardized about that circle it might be big it might be small it might only be on one hip it might just be with one shoulder you could have a little decoration on top of that circle you could put a shimmy on it you could segment it you can make one part of it faster, one part of it slower, one part of it heavier, one part of it lighter, this limitless variation. And that's uh, also a really important quality. And the musicians have that same liberty, they take basically that same liberty with the notes. Arabic music has more notes than Western music. We have, what is it, I think, eight notes in an octave, and it's whole whole steps and half steps and it's all on the piano and it's the same every, it's, Arabic music has extra notes. They have notes in between, they have quarter steps and then the musicians make those quarter steps a little bigger or a little smaller because that's how they feel it at that moment. They want that note to be just a little sharper or a little flatter. And the instruments like an oud doesn't have frets so that you can change the quality of the notes, you can make it any way you want it to be. And that's why the violin became a popular instrument because it also doesn't have frets. Um, And even the guitar, even in this country, um, African-Americans used knives and bottlenecks to be able to find those notes on the guitar with its fretted fingerboard and tweak the notes. So all of that is so built in. And the dance is has evolved to mesh so beautifully with that music also we've only recently come into a phase of recorded music. Recorded music is what maybe
0: is it less than a hundred years old? I, th- I think it might be less than I was just trying to think of that if it's if it's not less than a hundred, it's like on the dot. I think it was in
1: the maybe either in the very late 1800s or the early 1900s, maybe in the 20s or something, that we started having recorded music. I don't remember. But it was it was a while ago. and it, But it wasn't that long of a while ago. So we have thousands of years where all the music was live all the time. And even up until relatively recently, I think it might have been Sahra who mentioned that even up recently, if you were going to you know, practice, you lived in Egypt, and you were going to practice, you hired musicians to play for your practice, you didn't practice with your boombox and your CD. But here in the West, for most of us, as you know, this dance became popular, uh, it really got popular in the 70s. And then there was kind of a slough. And then it came up again. We've most people only have access to recorded music. So they don't really have that cultural experience of hearing all of that rich variety that the music can have because they just play the record and the record, the recording is the same every time. So if the recording is the same every time, then you can set a dance and have that dance be the
0: same every time. So far so good. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm letting you go. I love this.
1: <laughs> and then I think most people, particularly in the West and, and you know, are are. We're mo- you and I are probably most familiar with the United States as well. Most people who are in this, who get into this dance, um, some of them like me did not really have pre-existing dance education. So again, that was a me lucky neither. thing for me. I didn't have anything to unlearn. But I remember there being people in my classes back then who were um, ballet trained, like just talking among themselves in the you know, those fringes of class where people do that that the hardest part for them was like just relaxing the glutes and relaxing the body and at that time the wisdom around learning this dance was that you did not want trained dancers you wanted untrained dancers because there was less for them to unlearn and then maybe you gave them you know a little bit of extra support in arms you know mm-hmm. to for lifting of the arms and stuff like that so we have some people who didn't have any early dance education, but then we have a lot of people who've been going to Miss Susie's Academy of Dance since they were two. And so they grew up and, you know, the sum total of most dances is its vocabulary. Mm -hmm. And they started early on learning choreographies and learning how to memorize choreographies. And that's what they grew up on. And so they learn this dance and it's yet another vocabulary and that's it. You know, the, the sum total of the dance is the vocabulary. And then you can do whatever you want with the vocabulary. And obviously in that case, you know, you can take it and you can fit it to any other music that you can make it, you know, you can cram it into. And it's, it's just another vocabulary under your belt, but all because this is what you've been trained to. It's all about choreography because in Western dance, the hierarchy of dance, the choreographer is above the dancer. That is true. The choreographer has higher status.
0: I never thought about that. That's totally true.
1: They may not even dance in the dance. They, give, they, they choreograph on the dancers is how it's phrased. And they, you know, they give that dance and then the dancers learn it. The dancers are... Quite often, you know in classical dance, they are very much technicians who do what has been given to them, but in oriental dance, it is completely different because the dancers have agency. The dancer is the one who is hearing the music. you know I, the way I think of it is the music comes in through your ears and you let it come out through your body and you just let your body respond to the music mm-hmm. and And that's a lot of where personal style comes from, and that's a lot of where personality comes into play because dance is about personality and it's about connection. It's we don't have the fourth wall. It's traditionally done in small spaces when people are close to you and you're you're there with them and interacting with them, and it's you're not over there on a on a big stage far away. That those are relatively recent innovations
0: I like when you were talking about how in in oriental dance the dancers have agency because if a ballet dancer goes off script and starts doing something else on stage the orchestra is not going to follow her exactly but in an oriental dance performance done with a live band if the dancer starts going in a different direction the band will follow her like yeah like that the dancer can influence the music just as much as the music influences the dancer
1: yes the dancer hears the music and responds to it and what has again harking way back to my past the the wisdom was the dancer shows the guests what they feel from the music so it's very subjective so on the one hand yeah you're kind of like um you're translating for the hearing impaired right you're making a visual representation of the music but you're making a visual representation of the music as it comes through you and what you get from it. You're showing what you get from the music. So it's very individual in that way. And it's very in the moment because the music is never the same twice. So the musician musician is conveying their feeling and that comes through you and gets interpreted out uh, Lila Farid said, the, the dancer brings the audience to the music like a bridge. The dancer is the bridge between the guests and the music.
0: What you're talking about here is in, it's in, it really is an intrinsic mix of improv into the entire dance form, from the music to the dancing to, I mean, like, every aspect of it has improv built into it. Yes. and Because our recorded music has somewhat taken off Parts of that doesn't mean that we need to let go of all of the pieces, right? Of you can what?
1: improvise. Yeah, you can totally improvise to recorded music.
0: So where I want to go with this, you mentioned in the product description for the course that you're putting in the 2019 belly dance bundle, which is effortless improvisation. Um, mm-hmm. In the description, you ask the question of whether or not improv can be taught. And you mentioned that it is a skill and it is teachable. So, can you speak to that and also why why it does seem like an innate quality to dancers who don't who don't have it who didn't mm-hmm. haven't internalized that their whole lives?
1: right They learned a different skill, and it wasn't easy when they started to learn choreography, but they were very young, and it's easier to learn things when you're young and when you learn, when one learns new skills, it's actually rather painful. Learning is not fun. You are literally out of your comfort zone and you feel like an idiot. Nobody wants to feel like a beginner again. We all did that a long time ago and Mm -hmm. it's not pleasant. So it's frustrating. It's annoying. And then you think, I'm just not good at this and I'm just not going to do it because this is stupid. I mean, that's, it's it's exactly. I mean, this is really normal. It's very it's very hard. I teach writing also at the college level, and everybody comes. It's like the basic college writing course. Everybody comes into it starting from a different place. Some people read since they were little kids, and you know they liked writing and they were into it. So they come in with a very different skill set from people who come from families where you know, people in the family didn't necessarily, they weren't really into reading, uh, or it, it just wasn't something that appealed to them. There was other things that appealed to them more, so they, their skill levels aren't as highly developed. Some people have highly developed skill levels, and some people don't, and it's hard. It's really hard learning new skills, but once you understand that it's hard learning new skills, you can have a lot more, self-compassion for the process because for example learning a choreography values certain things it it is it really opens the door to perfectionism because everything is right and wrong and you're doing it right which means you look exactly like everybody else and it's not, has nothing to do with the way that your body might like to interpret the music. And it's all about squinting in the mirror. And it's all about aligning yourself with everybody else and making it be the same every time, which is the total opposite of the entire aesthetic of Oriental dance and music, where you want it to be different every time. You want a lot of opportunity for fluidity. So you have to start small first of all and not try to do everything at once because people are like oh well i'm gonna do this and i'm gonna watch myself in the mirror when i do it and i'm gonna look pretty no you're not you're gonna look garbagey because
0: you're just starting and you're gonna do the same two moves the whole time
1: and and be in a state of panic Mm -hmm. oh my god i'm boring people oh because you're terrified you know you don't know how to go from one move to another i know we've all seen you know sort of beginner troops especially and everybody is doing the dance, and they're not even dancing to the music, they're dancing next to the music. The music is playing, and they're doing the string of moves that they, re- they memorized, and ideally they're kind of happening at the same time as whatever inspired the choreographer to make that string of moves in the first place. But a lot of the time, even, even that, beginner troops are largely doing their their step sequences are based in the rhythm rather than the melody. Mm-hmm. They don't even address the melody. And sometimes you see even very good dancers dancing to, for example, a live taksin, and it has that shift boom, 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 and there's some musician with a melody instrument going, you know, I mean, that's kind of jazzy and not very Arabic, but you you know what I mean? Yes. And the dancer is dancing only to the shift of telly because they they don't have any frame of reference or access to how they're going to represent this sequence of notes that isn't a melody per se, because it's not like. Da-da-da, da-da-da, and it's heartbreaking honestly it's heartbreaking i had to take a long time to look at i kind of grew up as an improvisational person and i thought well obviously when people when people are good at things it's because they've done them in the past but how did how did i get that education mm-hmm. um and i i found all these places uh, you know, my brothers were musicians, and they played. They played a lot of rock music, and there's a fair amount of improvisation in rock music because there's that. that that's what came through. Uh, upwards of thirty percent of the African people who were kidnapped and and brought to this country and forced into slavery were came were came from Islamic countries. They spoke and wrote Arabic, and Arabic music was familiar to them. And some of that, and there was, so there was this amazing organic fusion that happened in this country with all of the various people from the various parts of Africa jammed together. And, you know, their their music and their art, there was all this crossover and come out and came into the blues, which was, you know, continued to evolve into rock and roll, on the one side and jazz on the other side. And both of those forms had that notion of improvisation built into them. So we have a better connection to Arabic music than we might think because we have those forms and we grew up with those forms, rock and jazz, that both have in- improvisation built into them, into the music. But when we take when we take improvisation and we start to a, do some cross training in other art forms that have improvisational qualities. Writing is an improvisational art form, basically.
0: I that's that is true. I never thought of it in that context.
1: And especially if you do like um, free writing, where you're not you don't have any plan, you just let what co- what's in your head come out. That's a training process. And when we start doing improvisation, we start in a way where We're not making judgments about the quality of what we're doing in the same way with free writing. We don't make judgments about the quality of what we're doing, it's about quantity. It's about writing for 10 minutes without stopping and just seeing what comes, it's about curiosity. What's gonna happen? And it's the same, we start with free form improvisation, often to music that isn't Arabic music so that people don't get like tweaked out about having to do the things like, it has to look like belly dance. No, it doesn't, it has to, it has to, Be something that gives your body the freedom to respond without preconceived notions of what shapes those should be and, you know, what that should look like. You know how you turn on a faucet that's been closed for a while and all that rusty, garbagey water comes out? Mm -hmm. That rusty, garbagey water is going to come out. You you know, it's going to. And you have to let that rusty, garbagey water come out before the clear water comes out. And you develop the skill of allowing your body to respond to the music before you start deciding how it should look you develop and you only work on one skill at a time because i mean most of us right we go to practice and we're like oh and i have to be like this and i have to to remember my shoulders and i have to put my head here and i have to be like this and i have to remember that like we're trying to do 47 things at once Mm -hmm. it's no wonder everybody is like you know, in, in a state of high anxiety and, oh my God, it's an Egyptian song, but if I wear the wrong dress, somebody's going to yell at me or if I do a Turkish move, I'm just going to, you know, I'll never be able to lift my head up in public
0: again. We make it very hard. <laughs> we, we do. We make it very hard on ourselves. Yeah. So then what do you suggest people do to kind of move from the state of anxiety and self-doubt and like, oh my God, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this to a state of curiosity, which really sounds like is almost the first step in getting into improv is getting curious about what you can do.
1: Exactly. And um, what I advise and what the course will kind of take people through a process of is you close your eyes and you look inside instead of outside to start with. You close your eyes and you look inside. How does my body feel? You know, so that you, instead of looking at the mirror and how do I look, you look inside and how do I feel. You can feel your muscles moving. You can suddenly feel, even if you, you know, you're doing oriental dance moves, those moves are very delicious to the body. They use all the body's muscles in very organic ways. And all of a sudden it's about how does this move feel? How do my muscles feel? Oh, a, you know it's a little tight over there, so I'm gonna relax a little more. And just relaxing. So there's this introception, which is what that's technically called when you're looking inside. introception. how does the body feel? Um, How does it feel if I roll my shoulder here? What kind of shape that I make is going to follow this little bit of the melody? When you make an experiment, there is no possibility of error because you're doing the experiment to find what happens. So you can't possibly make a mistake. So you lower the stakes and you lower the stakes and you lower the stakes. You cannot do it wrong. Yes, exactly. You know, in jazz, they say there are no wrong notes. In, and and in this, I say there are no wrong moves, because you're discovering how your body feels this little line of music. Maybe you just do it with your arms. When you see tribal folks who are, um, you know, trying to cross over to oriental dance or dance to music other than, you know, their normal stuff. And there's some very standard arm shapes that they make. And all of a sudden those don't work anymore. So what would your arms like to do? How would your arms express this? Tribal has a more compressed movement vocabulary and a more stylized movement vocabulary, um, Aisha Ali said, yeah, it's kind of like the Gawazi have a, a compressed mm-hmm. movement vocabulary, and it's relatively stylized. So it's it's similar in that way. But Oriental dance has a lot of freedom. Because again, agency. How do you feel the music? How does your body express that? Does, you know, does this part seem like it should be little? Or bigger? Or bigger with the decoration? Because you are exemplifying and embodying the music. Last year's last year's course was embodiment. How do you like understand musical structure and get inside of it so that you can respond to the music and have a sense of what's coming next and be relaxed in that process? And that's part of the improvisational process. Am I actually answering your question? Yes. Oh, good. I, th-
0: I think okay. wonderfully. I think... This is why I call you the master of teaching improvisation because I think you can articulate where where it fits in in a way that people who haven't grown up with this music and haven't been taught this from the get-go, you, you can explain it, I think, in a way that makes it easier to jump into for a lot of people mm-hmm. because it, people are so afraid. They have so much anxiety. That freedom that you're talking about, that oriental dance comes with so much freedom. I think that freedom causes a lot of anxiety.
1: (laughs) Terrifying. (laughs) It's terrifying. Terrifying.
0: And because like when you don't lower the bar for yourself, right, you cannot do it wrong when you are experimenting and, and doing all these things. If you don't do that, then you're sitting there and you're doing the, is this the right kind of move for this dance? Oh man, I've only done three moves this whole, it's been five minutes and I've only done three moves. Just like you said earlier, everybody must be bored. Right. I know every single one of us has had that thought when trying yes. to like get better at improv.
1: And when we're in that headspace of anxiety, we are not in the present moment. And this dance is about being in the present moment, being in the room with yourself. If you're in a room by yourself, you're in the room with yourself, not in your head somewhere else worrying about yesterday or tomorrow. You know, you're in the moment here in the room and you're with yourself with your eyes closed and just letting your body
0: enjoy the music. And I think when we get there to that place, that's where a lot of people find the joy in this dance. And they find that they're doing it on their own when they're having a bad day, just because like it gives them that mental space. It gives your, it makes your body feel better.
1: It makes you feel better. It makes you feel better. You do this dance and you feel happy. And, you know, so here, and uh, but but we're going to be on stage, blah, blah, blah. So one skill at a time. You start by yourself with your eyes closed and letting your body enjoy the music. And little by little, you progress to here I am with my guest and I will share the joy that I feel with them so that they can feel it too. And then you can be present in the room with the people and your job as a dancer is to give joy. You bring the joy. You don't have to impress them with your acrobatics because they don't really care. They've had a bad day and they came to feel better. You want them to feel great. That's what you do. The three things that, that to me, that like sort of filtered to the surface as I wrote, um, midnight at the crossroads uh, like the the sort of trifecta of mastery in this dance is and the a lot of the eastern dancers talk about same but different like the melody is the same but it's different every time so this idea that it, it's it's different every time that you respond the feeling in the moment first of all like what is your feeling today how do you feel it how does it want to come out today Because that's not necessarily the same as it was yesterday or what it's going to be tomorrow because the music is different today and you're different today. So one is the feeling in the moment. And everybody has told me the most important thing is the feeling. The feeling in the moment that it's different every time that you give yourself that um, luxury of interpretation, how it comes out is fine. And that you bring the joy because All, all of Arabic art is really largely the music, all the tarab music, it's about sort of meditative entrainment. It's that idea, tarab is musical ecstasy. The dancer can be part of that equation of bringing everyone to a place of joy. And that's what you're doing. And even if you have a choreography, you can retrofit it with a lot of this stuff so that even though you're dancing the choreography you can be in the moment and you can be expressing things even if you have a troupe one of the reasons we have group choreographies is because we have groups because we have dance classes because over there and it really have dance classes everybody just danced you know within within their family group of family and friends other people danced, and you just learned it by osmosis because you were there, and everything you know goes together so well. So now we have dance classes, and people had groups, and they're like, "Oh shit! Now I have to do something for the recital. We have to have a recital, and everybody wants a product." I don't make dances anymore. When I do, when I am in a place where you know I'm teaching live classes, I no longer, I no longer make dances. I have the group make dances. Well, that's fun. And I have the group make the dance and, you know, we build in uh, what are we saying here? Because dance is about having something to say. And again, most of the time that element has been stripped out of dance education. You're just doing a movement sequence and it's empty. But the movements are a container for the dancer's feeling and the dancer's expression in the way that the notes are a container for the musician's expression. So, and this is another thing. Bobby used to say, nobody really has much to say in this dance until, you know, they're at least 40. Once you've been around the block a few times.
0: I've heard that multiple
1: times. And it's kind of offensive to younger people. I'm good. But as, as a younger person, all of a sudden you can go, oh, something to say? Because when you're young, you know, a lot of what you have to say is, look at how pretty I am look at how well I learned this, you know, look at how accomplished I am. And when you're older, you have to say, I've been through some tough things. You mm-hmm. know, there was all these hard things that happened in the past. Cause you know, a lot of those songs are very tragic, mm-hmm. but we don't, we don't bring tragedy into this magical place that we have where here we are together. And it's so wonderful. And I love you so much. And it's like, yes a tragic thing happened you know and everyone's like yes a tragic because everybody had a tragic thing happen yeah and here we are all together and we we really use that we like refer to things but we're grounding ourselves in the beauty and joy of the present moment and that's the heart
0: and soul of this dance marvelous marvelous alia i I'm really excited for people to hear this. So we're going to have to jump back on another one of these podcasts and talk more about all of these little amazing tidbits you're dropping. Cause I feel like we could, we could go for an hour on any one of these things. So I'm definitely going to try and get you back on here, but for this year, for the 2019 belly dance bundle, you are putting in effortless improvisation. It's a four week course, and I know it's going to help so many people kind of get past this roadblock that they have set in their braids around improv. But other than in this year's Belly Dance Bundle, where can people find your work? How can they connect with you on the internet? How can they find more of your amazing teaching?
1: AlyaThabit.com. I even have a shop page now. Very excited about my new shop page. I've been in this business for 40 years and I have a shop page finally. I shouldn't admit to these things, should I?
0: <laughs> I think it makes you
1: relatable. Thank you. Yeah, so aliafabbat.com slash shop if you want to go straight to the page. And then a lot of those things have their own pages. Um, the book, Midnight at the Crossroads, really it's excellent. is a distillation of all of my understandings about this dance, kind of all in one place. And it, it really is, this dance is so deep. It is so much deeper than the, a movement vocabulary or the music, it is a very, very deep, powerful venue for healing and joy. And um, I mean, all of us, all that perfectionism, all that, oh shit, I made a mistake, now I'm going to die. Um, All of that stuff, as far as I'm concerned, those are symptoms of unresolved trauma. And ironically enough, belly dance, in its cultural aspects, is a premier venue for trauma resolution. It has so much stuff built into it where the way that it's being taught is sort of with all the choreography and the perfectionism kind of pushes us even more deeply into traumatic anxiety where cultural belly dance is a door outward from that, a door to joy.
0: Well, everyone, I'll put a link to Midnight at the Crossroads in the show notes page. So if you haven't read it yet, you definitely should. It's an excellent, excellent book. It's actually um, when we first started the bundle, that book is what made me reach out to Alia and see if she would come and be part of the bundle because I felt like that was something that people really needed to read and and internalize and, and rethink the way that they view oriental dance so Alia thank you so much for all the hard work that you put into everything that you do and and bringing bringing these ideas to the masses in a way that I think is easy for us to like as westerners to kind of jump into and understand
1: it is my pleasure thank you for including me I really enjoy being part of the bundle and I appreciate what you do to put it all together and make the choices that you make about what is in there
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Alia. And everyone, we will see you tomorrow. In today's day and age of dance, improv is something that we may not be taught right away, but that we need. If you ignore all of the amazing information presented to you today about how improv is intrinsically tied to this art form, you're still going to find that there's moments in your dance where you can't help but improv. What are you going to do in a crisis, right? What happens when you forget the choreography on stage? What happens when there's kids running underfoot that won't sit down? What happens if you step on a rock when you're outside at a Hofla or outside at a a small event, right? There's always these little, these, these crises, little moments in our dance where you have to react, you have to do something. And you know what? It's improv. Improv is what gets you through those moments, and building these improvisational skills can only help you, regardless of if you plan to only perform choreographies for the rest of forever. Being able to improv can instill a sense of confidence that cannot be shaken, because no matter what happens in the music, on stage, in your life, you can handle it. And like, let me repeat that you can handle it. There are so many amazing things that Ali has said today, and it's it's so hard for me to pick just one to talk about here. to choose something to leave you with, to move on with your day and with your practice. But I think the thing that can be applied most broadly is this idea of dropping our preconceived notions of what your dance is supposed to look like when you're improving. And maybe while we're there, dropping our notions of what our practice should look like. At the end of the day, you just have to give it a try. Drop those expectations, expectations of your dance, expectations of yourself, expectations for others, and experience the present. Enjoy the music, enjoy your dance, enjoy yourself, and enjoy the people around you. We only get this moment once, so let's improv life to the fullest. Want to learn more from Alia or check out her book, Midnight at the Crossroads? You can find links to everything on the show notes page at thebelliedancebundle.com/16. There are also links there to some of the biggest podcasting apps so you can subscribe if you've been enjoying the show. And I promise that I'll stop saying the date October 16th pretty soon. But that moment is not now. The sale goes live in just 5 days and I've been gearing up like mad over on this side of the microphone. If you have any questions about the sale, please stay tuned to Instagram. We'll be having a live Q and A over there in in a couple of days. So you can come and ask me any questions that you have about the bundle, about the challenge or about anything in your practice. I'm here to help. So if I don't have an answer, I'll find someone who does. Thank you so much for listening, subscribing, and for working so hard at your dance. You're amazing. And I appreciate you now go find something to make up it's improv time